Hi, all, and welcome to the Relationship Renovation Podcast. I'm Tara Kerwin. And my name is EJ Kerwin. And we are always so grateful for you tuning in to listen to us. And before I introduce our guests, I just want to say we're using a new service right now. And you'll notice in our show notes in this episode and some past episodes a link to Gala. And it is a platform where you can get on in every episode and you can post questions. You can just type in texts. Um, You can also leave voice messages through this. And so if you have questions, if you have new topics you want us to discuss, whatever it is, you can type those in. But you can also, if you do a voice message with your permission, we can actually put you on one of our podcasts. You could ask a question or make a statement about something. We'll put you into that podcast episode and then we'll answer the questions live. So we're we're really excited. So you'll notice like halfway down through the show notes, there's a link to like make a comment or ask a question and it'll drop your uh, feedback right into our episode, which is going to be awesome. And we'd love to hear your voices on the podcast with us. All right. So today we're really excited for the guest we have here in our office. We're lucky to be surrounded with an incredible team of people who work here at Relationship Renovation Counseling Center. And those people are a breadth of knowledge and have a wide range of experience. And then oftentimes they bring new people to us who have just incredible information and incredible backgrounds that we know applies to being a well person and being in a happy, loving relationship, and in this case also involving a little bit of parenting. So one of our therapists is uh, Robin Memel Fox, and she uh, has been with on the podcast a number of times, a lot of talk about trauma. She did a really great episode that helped people understand EMDR, which is mm-hmm. sort of one of the most research-backed approaches to trauma right now. And she has introduced us to and brought in her mom, who has a really great background in one of the things that we talk a lot of our clients about, which is attachment. And so Liz Memel has come to join us today. Um, She is an infant and toddler development specialist. Uh, She's an adult educator in that realm. She works both with professionals, helping them understand early childhood attachment, but she also works with parents. And then on the on the more personal side, Liz is a daughter, she is a mother, she is a grandparent, and she has been married to her husband for 59, 59 years. years. Yes. And so I had to double that because yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So so welcome, welcome, Liz. Thank you for and welcome Robin as well. Hello. How are you, Liz? Thank you for coming in. Thank you, EJ and Tara. I'm very well, thank, and I'm very thrilled to be here and have this opportunity to tell the two of you about me and my my career that took over in my life mm-hmm. when I had adolescence that I was living with my two children, and I never dreamed that I would embark on a, a lifelong pursuit of an early childhood educator. So, yeah. it's a pleasure to be able to experience the work and tell about it to the people who listen to your very prominent blogging. So I'm happy to be here. So could you just give us and our listeners an understanding, just infant toddler development Mm -hmm. specialist. I mean, just, just help us understand what that is. It's a field of inquiry and 
learning that is so seminal to society and every human being alive has been an infant. That's the truth. And so anybody who has been an infant could find tremendous amount of self-awareness Maybe. It depends on each individual because it's a self-selecting endeavor to to go along on automatic with blinders on and live your life less content and happy. The words that you chose, I th- you didn't say content, but happy mm-hmm. and fulfilling life just by rote. Or is there a way to find out who you are, and then know who others are so much better because you know yourself. Mm -hmm. And so the process of working with adults that I experience is typically only because of self-selection. There's no mandate. You don't have to uh, pursue a parent education, even though it's a field that's been around for, you know, 40 years or so. When I wrote my master's thesis from Pacific Oaks College in Pasadena, California, because I got very serious about the work after training with my teacher. But I discovered that parent education was a very well-established field. And so I, I knew that I was embarking on something on solid ground, but I didn't really know the depth of what I was about to understand when I very serendipitously met my mentor, my teacher, a world-renowned infant specialist herself, lecturer, author, teacher. Her name is Magda Gerber. And she changed my life because, uh, as I said, I never would have dreamed that that this was a field that I would embark on and get that serious to go back to grad school at age 51. So what was it that felt so compelling that really has made this your life passion for over four decades? That's a great question for me. And you make me think about the basis of the work is humanism. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in a humanistic environment myself. It's in my DNA from generations back. And so when I met Magda Gerber and she presented the work to me, and it, it felt very much like it was almost fate because a friend of mine, a former co-worker who was a a child psychiatrist in LA where I was living, he advised me when I asked him, where do I go to learn about infants? And he told me Magda Gerber. And she was actually in the Los Angeles phone book. And I looked (laughs) her up and called her. And she told me that the very next night she was starting what she had as a training. It was a a three-month training program. And I said, well, I guess I'm really supposed to be there. And I signed up and I went the very next night. And embarked on the rest of my life. So it was, the nugget of it was realizing that I had raised my two infants and toddlers and on and on with a very humanistic akin outlook because that's the way I was raised. Mm -hmm. So I knew that and and that's what I knew I could do innately. And um, so it it really struck me and I, I found myself delving into what was I like when I was parenting my babies and I had pictures, I remember photographs spread out on the floor in front of me, looking at them and trying to put myself back in time and and recall it. And so it did resonate with me. And then I grew more and more into it um, through the years, learning every bit of the way, constantly learning from my students and from the babies. You know, I have been able to spend almost 40 years now 
interacting with babies. And mm-hmm. I think it's it's been very rejuvenating for me and kept me mm-hmm. in the state of, of contentment mm-hmm. and happiness. Yeah, I mean, happy is a great word, but it's relative. Just, you know, knowing who, who I am possibly to be in the present moment, because that's the gift that babies and toddlers yeah. offer the yeah. adults who care for them, staying in the present moment. And so that was very health producing for me too, you know, through some family crises, I still had my work to keep me grounded. And mm. then I could deal with, with things that were happening familiarly and, and, and whatnot. So it's, it's been a tremendous yeah. gift. We can relate since yeah, we yeah. are relationship specialists and have to like do that in our own work. Um, really one quick question before we move on, just for listeners who might not understand what humanistic mm. psychology or even that approach is, will you just briefly? Well, humanism is accepting others for, for what they are and um, living authentically, not submerging yourself, your emotional intelligence, you know, being expressed without doubt, without fear. Uh, there's a quote from my thesis that I remember that was said by a mom who she said, when I'm feeling jealousy, envy, rage, fury, I get permission from Magda Gerber's work to because I know that I'm sane doing that, feeling those feelings, mm. not insane. So it's it's not denying the human condition is yeah. what humanism is. I guess that's a way of putting it. Yeah. So, I, I love that. Yeah. I have goosebumps from yeah. that. That's so interesting because, you know, in parenting, because you said, you know, accepting others for who they are. So much of what we do, I think, early on in parenting is we're trying to like you know, have our child behave in a certain way Control. or not cry or, you know, and w- w- I guess maybe our instinct is not to accept, but it's to mold. Does to that control. connect at all? Instinct is an interesting word. You know, there's intuition and there's instinct and instinct can really lead you astray. I remember one person saying, this is counterintuitive work because it's telling me that it's okay to go into the shadow, the dark, mm. and to know that, yes, that I am okay feeling these feelings, and therefore my emotional intelligence is working. I just wanted to say a quote, which I might butcher a little bit. Carl Rogers, who's a humanist psychologist, said something like, when we look at a sunset, we don't say, oh, the orange should be this way or that color should be this way. We look at it in awe and let it unfold as it is. And mm-hmm. that's how we look should look at humans and, and accepting them for their unfolding and who they are. Thank you, Robin. That was beautiful. Yeah. And, and Carl Rogers has brilliant statements about raising children who are emotional intelligent. And he posits in his client-centered therapy book about how he likes to think about a family where everyone's emotions are accepted and that the child is raised knowing they're safe, feeling their feelings. And I didn't get to even begin to quote him there, but it's a wonderful posit about healthy living. And this work that I've been taught by my teacher is, is so much about acknowledging. So the work that is done is trying to bust the myth that parents are 100% responsible for their children's happiness. Huh. If that myth gets busted, then they're not 
feeling remiss if their mm. child is crying and upset. Instead, it's the inquiry. I wonder what it is that is happening for you and I care. So I show up for you, yeah. not to fix you because I allow your authentic self to grow and become uh, who you are, a complete person. We're trying to raise the whole child and the whole child has needs and rights. And what I said about the biological needs, imperative to meet those from the get-go. The child must be fed when they're hungry hmm. and, and not not kept to any kind of schedule to please the parents and to have the child fit into the parents' lives. No, it's just dropping out of your usual. Thank you for sharing that because that is exactly the work we do with our couples here. How do we like not try to control them? How do we allow them to be who they need to be? How do we respect their autonomy? And how do we not take on? Because what I'm hearing a lot is like, how do I help parents understand that they are not 100% responsible for their child's happiness, right? And I think a lot of moms come in with this mom guilt, like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with my child? Da, da, da. But we also do that in relationships. And then people come in like our relationship is just failing. And I think that, you know, people have that same feeling with parenting too. And I guess I'm just really curious around how you parent differently with all of your knowledge and training versus someone who maybe just reads the book Parenting 101? Well, I don't parent that much anymore, Tara. Back in the Frankly, day, we want to pick your brain. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I first encountered my teacher and her work, which is called a philosophy more than a methodology, because mm. there is no form. There is no recipe, no dogma. You can't you know, follow a recipe and put it in the oven and everything comes out perfectly. Darn That's it. not what life is like and certainly not what parenting babies are like because Magda Gerber defined babies as unique little individuals. Mm. So even within a family, there's several unique individuals, maybe if there's more than one child. And Robin, you have two at the same age and <laughs> they're definitely unique and different, uh, have been from the get-go. So it's Understanding acceptance and realizing that as humans, we are able to make mistakes. We fall down. One of Magda's famous, most famous lines is falling down, getting up and moving on is the best preparation for life. So literally when children, young ones, stumble as they're crawling or take a fall when they're, when they're toddling, then get themselves up again because they are motivated all infants are motivated mm -hmm. from within, she says, on a number of places. But Tara, the thing that happens for the families that get involved in this work is a very major transformation of their view, mm -hmm. because how we care for infants depends on how we see them. And if we see them as totally dependent, mm -hmm. unable, incapable, then we're going to care for them in a completely different way. So our goal is to help parents learn to see through the eyes of someone who empathizes and shows up empathetic, but understands that the child is capable of the gamut of experiences and to empower them by supporting their autonomy. And it goes big time from the start when infants are allowed to move according to their own individual body wisdom, as Magda called it. Sensory integration is another mm. grander term for it. But Robin, being a movement therapist, 
studied this and could really identify with the seminal start that babies can have when given complete freedom for non-intervention in gross motor development. I mean, that's so interesting, right? Because it's, well, when I think just like our instinct, like you said earlier, is control, is to mm. like control an outcome, is keep them safe or keep them from hurting themselves or, or keeping them sure. from having an uncomfortable emotion. And it's it's interesting that parallel that Tara was talking about, about it's our first instinct with a zero to four-year-old, but then it's also our first instinct with our partners and, and everybody else in our life is like, if it's uncomfortable, stop it from happening. Don't let it happen. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and what's destructive about that, 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 that need to control the outcome? Well, it says that you're being run by fear. Yeah. And so that's the most primal thing that we face. And our world has shattered in so many ways. Mm. Yet the families that I've been working with online, internationally, learned when they gave birth and were home and decided to engage in this program, because as I said, it's self-selection, they learned that staying home was the silver lining because they could devote every moment that was needed by this newborn child and understood what they were doing was so seminal and monumental. And the children that I started off with in 2020, now I'm still working with them on Zoom, the parents, not the children. The children have never been part of the screen experience. It's all parent education. They've managed so beautifully and have such authentically developed children. Now these Mm -hmm. kids are embarking in preschool and the stories that I'm told about the confidence Hmm. that they have moving forth, separating. I mean, separation, individuation. The confidence that they can just like, everything is okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I have to just say this. So I got to meet you a few nights ago and we get to have a little pre-conversation before a podcast. And since then, I was watching a new show last night on Netflix And one of the dads is like, why are you wearing lipstick? You're 16. You cannot be wearing lipstick right now. Like, and I'm thinking, what would Liz say? What would Liz (laughs) say? And then yesterday I actually had a client who they have a 14 year old and she called me for support because she said, "Uh, my, my son is expressing that he doesn't want to live anymore. And he needed me to come pick him up from school and that the parents are divorced. And she said, he wants to go give his dad a hug. She's like, and so we went to his dad's house and the dad came out. He's like, you shouldn't be feeling that way. He's like, you have a lot of family support. He's resistant to a therapist. And I'm trying to help the mom understand what well, sounds like dad has a lot of fear and that might he might be thinking that, oh, there's something wrong with his parenting, which is why his son, whatever. But I'm like, what would Liz say? Because I'm thinking like, how do you allow your son to be suicidal and it's okay to get him the support versus being hijacked by that fear of like, oh, if he goes to a therapist, that means there's something wrong about us and the way we parented. So anyway, just meeting you three nights ago, Liz, two nights ago, like has already started that engine churning a lot. Yeah. When I ask, as I do once in a while, you know, for an assessment from the families, the parents, and it's usually both parents who come to the Zoom group, you know, to uh, perhaps describe what their process has been. Maybe a new family is is entered the group. And Mm -hmm. I I often hear the discussion about perfectionism. And and one woman said, I'm a reformed perfectionist. You know, that letting go is, is the major 
thrust. Your mm. body gives birth and you let go. And then it's a series of letting go for the rest of your life. And and Goosebumps. I now, as the adult child that I have sitting across from me <laughs> here, um, that's still part of it. You know, I drop in on the lives of my children, sometimes physically um, being in their presence, usually vacationing. So it's a lot of fun, but nevertheless, I'm there as a witness and loving and being intimate, yes, but not judging, trying to very hard. And it's sometimes very hard, especially when my grandchildren were babies, to let go. And Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I made plenty of mistakes and learned. I can remember such moments of disequilibrium that I blurted something out. And then guess what? The repair comes because the rupture doesn't hurt us. Yeah. doesn't hurt my relationship with either of my children. My in-law children, you know, that's treading a little softer with them because it's not the same yeah. depth of the relationship, but nevertheless, it's letting go. And so the perfectionist that this person mentioned, you know, letting go to be present for relationships. And she meant her own with herself, with her baby, with others, it just becomes ubiquitous. So this can be very transformational for people who have trouble not reacting with their reptilian brain, like right. the dad that said, you mm. may not wear lipstick or you may not yeah. commit suicide. Mm -hmm. To observe more and observe do less more. gives you the chance to enjoy the most. That's Magda Gerber's, one of her famous lines too. What is one of the first like interventions you, like if you're trying to help parents do a u-turn and and be more of the observer instead of the reactor like what is one of the first interventions or or skills because this is skills like we need skills for this we tell our couples like healthy communication you're not born with you need to practice you need to trial and error yes and you mentioned the word observing and that's where the experiential process becomes so paramount. And in the weekly parent-infant groupings, whether they're in person uh, or not, it's what is, is fostered. So the parents are on the edge of the space where the infants are interacting with objects, with their bodies moving from a very early age. We start the classes at just a few months of age, up through roughly age two to three, weekly gatherings. And so it's an experiential process of seeing the competent child, watching the facilitator, who is myself or perhaps a practicum student that I'm supervising, interface with the children by making sure they're safe. This is not a laissez-faire permissive situation. There is definite limit setting. The parents are encouraged to just observe, sit back and not intervene. And then the selective intervention of the facilitator demonstrates how competent these children are on their own with our help occasionally. Mm. So by, by learning to observe and be in the moment, and allow the freedom of expression, whether it's emotional or physical or in, in any part of the caregiving routines, you know, the feeding relationship being the most critical one mm. that must be child-led. And uh, so it, it's a whole package deal, but the parents, you know, to be specific to your question, they learn themselves to be these sensitive observers responding, reflecting, 
and respecting the child's initiative. The first principle of RIE, the acronym RIE, stands for the organization that was formed over 40 years ago by my teacher and a pediatric neurologist. It's called Resources for Infant Educarers. And the word educarer is a word that my teacher coined to combine educating and caring because you can never care for a baby without educating them in some way. The question is, what are you teaching them? Are you teaching them something that you would rather not? And so it's becoming more and more conscious of the power of communication and especially, especially touch. Touching their bodies and how they're being moved through space is such a message of trust. So the first principle of Rai engages trust and it's the most important thing throughout our lives. I mean, Robin and I trusting each other to have differences of opinion and then resolve it and trusting ourselves to be safe in that and not jump to fear mm. like the people you, you mentioned, mm-hmm, Tara. Mm-hmm. So basic trust in the child to be an explorer, an initiator, and a self-learner. Hmm. That, you know, pretty much... What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Which covers the gamut. And those three R's you just said, responsive, reflective, and respected. Yeah. Oh, if we could just all have those three R's on a daily basis in our relationships with our... And and when I was hearing you, I had this like a lot of anxiety. And I'm wondering if any other listeners are out there like, my twins are eight now. And I definitely was not an observer. (laughs) I was like... These twins had colic. I was constantly scared. I kept thinking I was doing it wrong. I was in a state of just like whirlwind. 
But I also know that I have a lot of compassion for myself and I did the best I could with what I had. And I didn't have you, Liz, eight years ago. I wish I did. Darn it. Mm. Yes, I know your specialty is kind of ages zero to four. But like, what if, you know, our kids are eight or 10 or teenagers? Like, how can we still know that like doing this is not like we haven't messed up our kids, right? That's the whole premise behind this is like that they are competent. They are their own autonomous beings and we just have to provide, right? Food, shelter, clothing, love, nurturing. And and guidance. You know, there's also the guidance that we give because we have information that they don't have, especially as infants and toddlers. And my work doesn't really extend to four-year-olds, Tara. I need to correct that. It's really zero to two or three at the most. And so, yes, I'm involved with families who have older children. So they bring questions and situations to the forefront often. And um, it it goes back to trust, really, what what you're saying. And of course, you struggled because struggle, as Magda Gerber defines it, is the one word that speaks to the essential force in our lives. The essence of life is the word struggle, and it's our attitude towards it that can make or break us. You know, mm. And there are people who wallow in struggle and say, help me, help me, I can't, you know, I got I to gotta move again, so will you bring your truck over? And then other people yeah. who say, oh, I'm fine, yeah, I'll see you, and they check out and go back in their cave. They don't need and reach out. They don't have that sense of vulnerability, which is very yeah. hard for some people, especially if they've been taught to deny their true feelings. That so again, Carl Rogers you know, praising people who can grow with emotional intelligence. And of course, Daniel Goleman is the, is the essential mm. thinker behind that. His book, Emotional Intelligence mm. and then Social Intelligence, speaks to all of this work. And the beauty of my career is that in the past 20 years, the mainstay teachings of my mentor, Magda Gerber, have been proven by mm. neuroscience. And so it's it's very exciting to know how her her practice, if you will, of teaching to communicate to the babies from from the start, telling them especially what you are going to do before you do it, and slowing down mm. and skipping that beat, waiting for a response of some kind, because even the youngest baby will indicate in some way with eye contact, perhaps, which is the most powerful exchange of infants mm. and parents because it's it's sending um, hormones and building the brain cells of both people. Yeah, I was, I was going to add that for me, what I learned most from my mom and having, you know, the twins myself and going through that process, um, you know, it was a blessing and a curse at times <laughs> because mom's expert and, yeah. you know, all these things. And I wanted her to just be Nana. But the most pivotal piece for me was that communication and that respect of telling them what I'm about to do. Let's change. I'm going to change your diaper now. Or um, looking at them while nursing and talking with them and respecting them and being quiet and slowing down and just really Mm. letting them know I'm going to pick you up now and just following their cues and really just less is more. That was another term that I heard you say, um, and I would see you talk about, I used to come observe her years ago, some of her classes and just seeing the, the moms and the babies in there and dads. And it was just like so soothing and calm. And it's just creating that calmness that, and, and that, you know, yes, we get anxiety and we get nervous, but helping to attune and regulate to 
your child will help you in your relationships throughout your life. Well, and it feels like, I mean, because of what I, the sense I'm getting is like this grounded nervous system that can handle a wide variety of experiences, uncomfortable to comfortable. And when we don't have that, or when our parents don't give us the opportunity because they're hijacked by their own thing, that then we become adults and we don't have a central nervous system that can handle difficult moments, which then, right, we see a lot of in our practice that we have to pause, stop, help people calm down. We have to be that same kind of mirror because otherwise they don't know how to regulate. This is why this is so important, regulation from an early age. Yeah, and so what's happening with the babies is during the edu-caring, the caregiving times, which are four passages, dressing, bathing, feeding, and diapering, it's the chance to, as you said, to slow down and attune. Attunement is a, a kind of a buzzword that gets thrown around a lot, but what Magda Gerber is really meaning is that their biological needs get met in attunement that is responsive, those, those three R's that you liked, Tara, <laughs> and, and that the parent is learning how to be in that sacred space of doing less by the experiential process of the weekly dose of support. You didn't get family support when mm. your babies were born. And you got support from loved ones. But as a peer group of parents learning together mm. to accept their humanity and show up for themselves and their child, it's what word we love to use is the word mutuality. Mm -hmm. This is a way of giving families much more mutuality in their lives, that adults' needs and rights are important, as well as infants and toddlers and children's and eight-year-olds' needs and rights. And under the same roof, there can be this mutual lifestyle where there is regard for each other mm -hmm. and knowing that I'm not the center of the universe just because I'm your baby or babies mm -hmm. in your case. Mm -hmm. Yes, and it's very much sacrificing in the beginning. Newborn care is huge. It's the hardest stage of all. And parenting is the hardest job there is. Well, it's so interesting. So we, I'm not laughing, but I am in a way because it just makes sense, especially after our discussion today. But we do uh, relationship timelines with all of our couples, like the beginning of the relationship when they got engaged and then when they had children. And then you see train wreck starts to happen after children are oh, born. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like literally, I'm going to go with like 90% of the time. And so we really help couples understand like that's that's kind of like it happens with a lot of people because a lot of people don't have the skills to understand right. like how to do this. And then you have two unique people with two unique backgrounds with two different attachment styles that are also trying to parent this new life. And it's, it's not, the skills don't come easily. Of course, it's an on-the-job training program, but there is preparation. I teach a prenatal course for parents-to-be or parents thinking about becoming parents even, and it really delves into the motivation and what's possible. You know, how how will you conceive of this child's future? You know, what, what will be your approach yeah. and how you can explore that even before the baby is born. So it's great preparation. I've had wonderful success with families who then enroll in the classes with the children afterwards. And it's night and day because they, they have a ground of being that is preventive. This is an approach that is called preventative because dysfunctional patterns 
don't get embedded from mm-hmm. the start that have to be remediated. Yes, there's corrections and, and, and course corrections, that is, as it's called, but there is the absolute possibility to prevent major dysfunctional yes. patterns of the child. The parent may have plenty of dysfunctional patterns as you people <laughs> get revealed to you, sure. but it's seeing themselves again, growing and starting fresh, you know, being able to revisit. There was, mm-hmm. I'll just tell one little anecdote of a mom, yes. a mom whose toddler girl really pushed her buttons. She, when she got upset, when the child got upset, the mother just couldn't handle it. She immediately went to fix it, stop it. And often, you know, rather aggressively. And she was struggling in class because the other parents were more able to be rationally observing and not fly off the handle like she was. And and I saw her get pretty aggressive with her daughter too, as she grew into toddlerhood. Well, she had another child afterwards and she realized that what was happening for her was that she understood as a youngster herself, she was never allowed her emotions. She was Mm -hmm. never given the chance to express the dark side. And so that was sending her into spinning off because her daughter was doing the things that she was never allowed to do. So when she got to that place and had this new baby who was obviously crying a lot and the daughter who was rebelling because she was not a happy camper and she got to that place where realizing I must accept and I can now accept, I don't want my child, my children at that point to have this albatross hanging around I mean, so there's there's an incredible amount that a parent, new parents could get out of out of doing a class like this. I mean, it sounds like one thing I thought as you were talking is like that it's incredible for the relationship with the child, but at a time where oftentimes we sort of divide and because just out of like it's it's overwhelming to be parents doing a class like this together probably pulls couples together as well. So can you, I mean, can you help people out there? Because we do have a lot of, you know, people who are listening who are new parents or, or are about to be parents. What, you know, tell us a little bit about your or class. Or thinking about being parents. Yeah, tell us a little bit about the class. Tell us a little bit about how they, you know, what they might look, whether it's working with somebody like yourself or somebody um, of somebody Who's else. Like what's the this? pathway? Well, thank you for that um, broad question. I, <laughs> I, it's a process. And so in, in the learning curriculum, there is uh, a chance to answer a couple of provocations um, about their thinking, their, their anticipation of becoming parents. Mm-hmm. You know, how do they envision their relationship with their child and probing that and encouraging the chance to see infants differently. Because if they can be seen as capable and competent human beings, and that's the shift that Rye asks people to make, mm-hmm. and it's it's liberating. That's another thing, another word that parents are using so much, liberating from the responsibility of teaching their children how to move, how to think, how to feel, how to talk. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the burden. Oh my God, I'm being a parent. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of, of doing this. This is this is too much. I I can't I can't even go there. So seeing the infant differently through our our audiovisual materials and written work. We have many wonderful books mm. and a simple, simple one that is the go-to book that I always offer, which is called Dear Parent, Caring for Infants with Respect by Magda Gerber. Mm. And it's concise chapters. She was a linguist and a brilliant author. So it's it's understanding more and more about 
the fact that the infant is a competent human being. One encounter that Magda had when she visited a senior center where babies were brought by parents to be held by seniors sitting around in a daycare program without regard to the infant's needs particularly. And the organizer of this, a woman named Laura Huxley, Aldous Huxley's widow, approached Mm. her and said, would you like to hold the baby that Laura was holding? And Magda said to her, well, do you think the baby would like to be held by me? And Laura says it was like a bolt of lightning. Wow. Yes. She, a humanist extraordinaire, Laura Huxley, never even thought that the baby had a point of view. Had a preference. Yeah. Wow. So that's the aha moment that parents can come to with guidance, with facilitation. And it is mind-blowing. And and so, so many people have written testimonials about it to me, you know, very well-known people who whose own egos might overtake this path, yet yeah. this humanizing approach gets to them. And I want to say one more thing, that even in birth, there can be humanizing. The, the, huh. the, the obstetrician from France, Frederick Le Boyer, whose work called Gentle Birth, he says that the birth can be a humanizing experience, teaching the parents to see this newborn through humanized eyes as not an object that gets task-oriented, let's get this baby born, let's get this baby (laughs) cleaned up, et cetera, et cetera. Gentle birth, nothing's done for the baby. The baby can be free to move on the mother's body and start suckling right away. So it's potential. I often say the word, EJ and Tara, possibilities. As I said earlier, it's not a recipe. This is about possibilities. And so anybody, anybody is Mm -hmm. capable of finding their own inner baby that's in there and tapping into their original essence that got a little corroded, right? but um, it's still in there. And uh, years ago when I taught at LA City College, uh, a population in, in East Hollywood, a very diverse population, mm-hmm. people in the class over the, over the span of a semester, they got it. They understood how inside them, no matter what their cultural influences had been, from poverty to biases to who knows what, they found their own inner child to to respond to this. Yeah, it's interesting because what you're talking about is not super complex, right? At its base level. And it's that it's like this slight variation between instinct and intuition, because what you're talking about sounds very actually intuitive, but not very instinctive. And what you're you're sort of like creating is this understanding for parents that the intuition to just listen to a child, to observe, to notice that it's a, you know, even from very early on an autonomous little being is not like, it's not rocket science, but it takes somebody, it takes people having an experience with somebody who can help make sense of it for them to connect the dots. And so so can you tell people, how do people, if they're like, wow, this is interesting, I want to learn more about this, how do they connect with you? How do they connect with these ideas? Well, the ideas are available um, on the internet. I have a website, authenticbabies.com. And there's a lot to be done from self-study and to get involved at, in a collaboration, of course, with others, not just your spouse or your uh, extended family, because that can be very problematic sometimes depending on on the individuals. But if people want to get empowered in this system, if you will, or this practice, it's available. 
on, on a limited basis or jumping in whole hog and, and involving yourself in classes weekly. There's online Zoom parent guidance classes, and typically the groups are based on the stage of development of the child, so young, young ones, and then babies who are more mobile, and then toddlers. And EJ, when you mentioned the word autonomy, you know, it, it's it's a free choice that, that people can make if they feel in, so inclined, because parenting is the hardest job, yet it's the one that there's no classes to prepare <laughs> for. You have to get a license to drive, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. So to be empowered for both the parent and the child to be making choices, learning from within themselves. And and there's no denying your inner self once you start mm-hmm. going down that nice hole, not a rabbit hole. And, <laughs> and to take responsibility for autonomy. And I believe that that's what the babies are getting, yes. just simply from the start where they are in charge of whether or not to turn from their backs to their stomachs rather than being put on their stomachs. That is learning to take responsibility for themselves. So the research out there right now, right, with uh, parenting and the type of parenting is that like, so helicopter parenting, we see it a lot more these days. And it's like, for me, it's scary because I know all the research that actually helicopter parenting, like making sure your child does not get put in dangerous situations, but that dangerous situation could be climbing three bars in a monkey bar at the park, doesn't matter, is actually more dangerous than neglect, because you, when we are in a place of helicopter parenting, we are not teaching our children how to have their own autonomy, resilience, resources. Mm-hmm. And I don't think parents out there, I think they think, well, helicopter parenting is just like me loving them and I want to make sure that they're really safe. But actually that it is, and research shows this, more dangerous. Yeah, it's putting them in a state of learned helplessness. Learned helplessness. So they are dependent instead of interdependent in a healthful way, beneficial interdependencies. They need us for food and care. And then the very beneficial independencies. Yeah. Well, thank you I, I very much, Liz. This literally is... be here all day. Yes. <laughs> and you want to try it for another baby and we could just yeah, try this no, out. I'm, a, I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, you've been a wealth of information, wealth of insight. There's a few books that you mentioned. Uh, your website will... In our show notes, everybody, you you can go check it out. We'll give you links to get that information. Thank you so much. This has been a fun, fascinating, like deep, deep conversation. Thank uh, you yeah, so much. It's a pleasure to get to know you. And thank you, Robin, for introducing us. Yeah. Thanks, thank you, mom. Robin. Thanks for being a great mom. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. I'm, I feel so grateful to be here in your presence, like learning your wisdom, learning from you. And just meeting you two nights ago, like my brain is... I'm already doing stuff differently with my children. It's crazy. And I'm not getting mad at myself for not having these tools for the first nine years. (laughs) I think our children are going to be okay. Yes. (laughs) I hope. (laughs) All right. Well, as always, thank you all for listening. We really value your feedback. Uh, if there's other topics that maybe this, you know, sort of germinated inside of your head, things you'd like to hear more about, please reach out info at relationshiprenovation.com. Follow our Instagram, our Facebook, our TikTok. We uh, just really enjoy uh, doing this and, and providing this information. We learn. That's what's amazing, too, is we come out of these uh, podcasts learning a heck of a lot more than we knew going in. So thank you so much. Yeah. And, and as always, just take care of yourself, take care of each other. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Me and you just sing
hanging on the train Me and you listening to the rain Me and you, we are the same Me and you have all the fame we need Indeed, you and me are we When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.